Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Segment intro and host welcome. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about eerie encounters and jinxed journeys. I'm your host for the evening, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Michael Subjack and Heather Miller are voice talents Danielle Hewitt, Felipe Ojeda, and Olivia Steele. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is written by Michael Subjack and is performed by Danielle Hewitt and Felipe Ojeda. In it, we will meet Nell, a down-on-her-luck college student who has several terrifying encounters on her way home. Without further ado, I present to you, By the Skittering of Dry Leaves. We're closing soon. Nell was so wrapped up in her work that the words didn't make sense at first. 
The person may as well have been speaking Swahili. Slightly dazed, Nell looked up from her book and saw a woman with a tight mop of curly hair staring at her with an apologetic smile. It took her a second to realize she was a librarian, and that it was almost 11 o'clock. Nell had only intended to stay at the library until 9. Not because it was a Friday night and she had big plans. No, that was never the case. On nights when she wasn't buried in schoolwork, her downtime usually consisted of watching Netflix, courtesy of her sister's account, and eating cheese. When she felt particularly daring, she'd throw in a bottle of two-buck chuck for good measure. Tonight was not going to be one of those nights. She had been working for a solid six hours. The only thing in her future was her lumpy second-hand bed. Thank you, she said to the librarian gathering her things. If she hurried, she'd be able to catch the last bus off campus. She exited the library. Save for the employees, the only other person she saw was a bored janitor buffing the outside hallway. She waved at him, but he either didn't see her or had no intention in waving back. And that was par for the course. Good old Nell. Forever the invisible woman. She reached the bus stop in time to see the taillights disappearing up the road. Perfect. Not that she could call for an Uber or a Lyft on her aging iPhone. She had $10 to her name, which was supposed to last her until Monday. She frequently told herself that this was only temporary. The lean years would be over once she had finished her degree and found a job. But that was getting harder and harder to believe these days. She knew several people with advanced degrees that were either unemployed or working menial jobs. And with the debt she was incurring, it would be long before she was in the black. Worst case scenario, she crashed, burned, and moved back in with her mother. Best case scenario, she'd eke out a living in what had already been an unspectacular life. With a resigned sigh, she started the two-mile walk back to her apartment. Fall was normally her favorite season, but even that seemed to be working against her tonight. The temperature was closer to winter, and the wind felt especially aggressive. Dead leaves pirouetted frantically around her feet, while the trees they had fallen from hissed angrily above her. She shoved her chapped hands into her coat pocket and cursed herself for not wearing gloves. The streets were mostly deserted, meaning people were either inside their homes or seeking refuge in one of the many bars downtown. An occasional car passed her, but otherwise Nell was alone, which was a blessing and a curse on this particular night. A blessing because she wasn't really in the mood to talk to anyone, but a curse because it allowed her to continuously dwell on the discouraging and self-destructive thoughts. Hey, girl. Where are you going? Nell looked up to see a porch full of young guys and remembered she was on fraternity row. While they were only a few years younger than her, mentally and intellectually, they were roughly akin to a group of hormonally charged eighth graders. Only these guys could drink and had no parental supervision. While that was fun for them, but potentially dangerous for someone like her, Nell picked up her pace slightly, which earned derisive laughter from the boys. What's the hurry? They called. You should come up here and warm up with a drink. We got everything. Even roofies, she thought, slightly distressed at how far away her apartment felt. All she had to do was make it down the block. Once she was out of their line of sight, they'd forget about her. Sound logic. Only it didn't apply if they started following her. And to her dismay, several of them were doing just that. They stayed far enough away that she couldn't make out exactly what they were saying, 
but knew it was about her. She cast a cautious glance back and saw there were three of them. One of them was heavy-set with a mop of messy brown hair. Another was lanky and had closely cropped blonde hair. And the third was a medium build with wavy, sandy hair that ruffled only slightly in the stiff breeze. Some might say he was handsome, but not Nell. She was too put off by his behavior to think of him as anything but a dangerous creep. And while their endgame might not be anything further than harassment, the lack of basic decency and respect was scary enough. We're just making sure you get home safe, he explained. A lot of bad elements in this neighborhood. Nell didn't disagree with him but continued to walk at a brisk pace, hoping to God they maintained their distance. They didn't. The situation was made more uncomfortable by her ominous surroundings. While well-kept houses with manicured lawns lined one side of the street, dense woods lined the other. During the day, it was a popular hiking spot. Nell herself often traversed it, finding it peaceful and even meditative. At the moment, however, it felt lawless and unguarded. A place for three creeps with too much alcohol entitlement to do whatever they pleased with whomever they pleased. Nell took out her phone with no other recourse, hoping they'd take the hint and go home. Who are you calling? The heavy-set one asked. Nell realized then that her ploy had failed. Now it was time for plan B. She started to dial the police when she felt a hand grab her wrist. Hold on. <gasps> she let out a frightened squawk and saw it was the leader. His blue eyes tense and unblinking. You don't need to do that. Let go of me. Nell said in a loud voice that sounded foreign to her. When was the last time she'd spoken at such an octave? She couldn't remember, and was desperate for this moment to hold a similar place in her memory. We're not gonna hurt you! The boy insisted while tightening his grip on her wrist. Famous last words, she thought as she tried to free herself. And while the bid was successful, it also had a very unfortunate side effect. Her phone went flying, striking the pavement with a loud crack. An uneasy silence followed, with neither Nell nor the three frat guys saying anything. The only sound was the wind and leaves, which seemed almost excited by the drama that was currently unfolding. Nell ran over to her phone with a growing sense of dread that had fully bloomed by the time she looked at the broken screen. That she couldn't afford a new one was dire enough. The fact that it had broken at such a terrible time was dumping salt into the wound that was already open and infected. With tears brimming her eyes, Nell looked back at the three guys who were looming over her as silhouettes backlit by a flickering yellow street lamp. She glanced at the woods and wondered if they knew them as well as she did. Without another look at her would-be aggressors, Nell stood up and ran. It was a risky gambit, but with no phone and no way to protect herself, taking cover was her best option. Everything was a blur. Although Nell had no idea how long she'd been running, she was at least confident she'd lost them. Or maybe they hadn't bothered to follow her at all which worked just as well. With the cold air stinging her winded lungs, Nell finally stopped and bent over, resting her hands on her knees of her faded cords as her breathing slowly returned to normal. The good news was that she had found her way onto the trail, which was paved and even. Hiking in the dark was never a good idea, but as long as she followed it, she'd likely be safe. She reasoned that she had overshot her apartment by a good two blocks, but that was okay. She didn't want those three assholes even having the faintest idea where she lived. The only thing left now was to make her way home, cry, and then fall asleep with the fool's hope that things would be better tomorrow. 
She started walking again and was roughly a tenth of a mile up the trail when she saw a faint light in the woods. As she got a little closer, she saw the light belonged to a small camping lantern, the same kind her father liked to buy in bulk for the numerous family camping trips they had taken during her childhood. The ones Nell had hated. So while said lantern already had an unpleasant association, its current use was for something far more horrific. Standing next to it was a figure digging a hole with a large, flat-headed shovel. Next to the hole was an object wrapped in plastic. And while Nell strongly disliked horror, true crime, and just about everything else that would give her nightmares, she knew all too well that the object wrapped in plastic was a body. And the person disposing it had just spotted her. So much for being the invisible woman. Nell's first order of business was to curse herself for not taking cover or just moving on in the first place. Her second order of business was to curse the moon, which was bright enough to allow just enough light for the person to know he or she wasn't alone. Nell honestly couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, but if tonight had been any indicator, it was likely the former. It was hard to tell as they were wearing ski masks. I didn't see anything. She desperately wanted to scream. I can't even see your face. I have had the worst night and I want to go home. Please, whatever you're thinking, I'm not worth it. Not that that would have made any difference. If anything, such a plea was a mere incentive to drop her into the hole with the other body. But the person didn't need any more incentive. He was already making his way toward her. <laughs> Nell began to run again with her legs already sore from her first getaway that evening. Assuming this guy hadn't worn himself out too much from dragging a body and digging a hole, she'd be an easy get. As she practically stumbled down the path, she could hear heavy footsteps behind her. They sounded far away, but not far enough. And they were gaining on her. As Nell ran, it dawned on her that she no longer had any idea where she was. Time and geography had lumped themselves together. And as far as she could tell, she was running in an endless circle. And it would only be a matter of time before she was caught and put in an unmarked grave. Given the course of her life, it seemed grotesquely perfect and even poetic that this is how it would end. Her pursuer got close enough that Nell felt something whistling past the back of her head. She couldn't tell if it was the shovel or some other weapon, but it hardly mattered. The outcome would be the same. Her lungs felt like they were on fire, but the good news was he wasn't doing much better, wheezing and exhaling like a desperate, exhausted animal. She was close to collapsing when she heard the sound that gave her hope and even comfort. The loud air horn of a nearby train. They mostly ran at night, and their horns were something that often guided her to sleep. To her, it was a sound that signified consistency and persistence. Regardless of what else was happening in her life and the world, the trains always ran. And if an aging and outdated mode of travel could continue unabated, maybe there was hope for her too. Nell reached the trail's end and took a hard left, leading her into the train yard. Her pursuer was still close behind her, but Nell knew with utter certainty that the end was nigh. On the far side of the yard, a black and industrial-looking train hissed to life and lurched forward. With every inch of her body begging for her to stop, Nell pushed herself harder than she ever had before and began running along the train as it picked up speed. She knew she'd only have one shot at this, and with one final burst of adrenaline, Nell managed to get ahead of the train and run in front of it as it continued to gain momentum. Success. She heard a short, terrified scream, followed by a sickening thud and the labored, metallic shrieking of brakes. 
She crossed the track safely while her pursuer wasn't so lucky. After that, everything was blank. When Nell finally came to, she found herself lying in a heap on the floor of her apartment. Part of her wondered if the whole thing hadn't been some kind of dream or stress-induced hallucination. But as she felt like a broken marionette, she knew all too well that the incident had occurred and almost gotten her killed. She instinctively reached for her phone before remembering it was either lying in the street or on the hiking trail. Too old and busted to be of interest to anyone. She needed to figure out how to get another one, but that was something she could worry about tomorrow. For now, she just wanted to revel in being alive and victorious. Just moments ago, the odds of either of these things happening seemed impossible. But Nell, boring, hopeless Nell, had somehow beaten them. And that was grounds for celebration. The $10 she had to her name suddenly had a new purpose. For the first time in months, Nell would go to a bar and have a drink. There was a place around the corner from her that was close and mostly frat boy free. And if she did happen upon the three that followed her earlier, she was now more than equipped to deal with them. She sat up and entered her bedroom to change clothes, opting for a skirt and blouse combo she normally saved for special occasions. And this was definitely one of those. She stepped outside to find the street still alive with the bustling and dancing windblown leaves that now seemed to clear a path for her as she made her way down the sidewalk. With the lights of the bar's neon sign getting brighter and the grinding strains of classic rock getting louder, Nell wasn't just ready for a drink. She was ready to conquer. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed By the Skittering of Dry Leaves, as written by Michael Subjack and voiced by Felipe Ojeda and Danielle Hewitt. You can find more about author Michael Subjack on his Twitter account under msubjack. 
If you enjoyed Danielle's performance, you can hear more of her on our very own YouTube channel, where she holds the third place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of her work on the Wicked Library and Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. This horror powerhouse also has a terrifying and tawdry podcast in the works. We can't wait to tell you more about it. Our second tale of the evening is written by Heather Miller and is performed by Olivia Steele. In it, we'll meet a young woman who goes looking for her sister who disappeared on a hiking trip five days ago. The lore surrounding the woods she disappeared in are well known in the small town they're from. A lone cabin stands in the center of the woods and the young woman is sure that the cabin is the center of it all. Now. Without further ado, I present to you The Old Cabin in the Woods. The cabin in the woods had been abandoned for years, but a candle burned in the window one night. The simple light cast an eerie glow on the clearing around it, so much that one could imagine that the flickering shadows were creatures lurking, seeking solace. The darkness was thick in this part of the woods, the weeds overgrown in the tree line surrounding the cabin. Oddly enough, the weeds hadn't overtaken the cabin. The air was hot and thick, even in the middle of the night. The single flickering light looked out of place, as did the young woman sitting next to it. She was seated in the old rocking chair beside the lighted window staring straight ahead to the front door as if waiting. She looked to be in her mid to late twenties, long blonde hair pulled back into a disheveled ponytail, makeup smeared around her eyes. The black leather jacket she wore over ripped jeans made her look like your typical college student, but the shotgun she held with both hands across her lap said otherwise. She slowly rocked back and forth in the old rocker, watching the door with purpose. At her feet lay an assortment of objects, bullet casings, a small metal cross, a Morton salt container tipped over and empty, an electric lantern that gave a soft glow at her feet, but enough light that she could see around the bleak cabin. She stopped rocking when she heard a scuffling noise outside. Something was dragging across the dried grass. The sound stopped. Her grip on the gun tightened. She swallowed thickly, then started again. As she fought to control her breath, she stole a glance out the window. Nothing but darkness. Probably an animal maybe a fox that had found something to eat and was rustling the dead grass. Right, she thought to herself sarcastically. Not in these woods. The woods surrounding the cabin had a history, and a bleak one at that. More than 20 people had gone missing in these woods since the 1980s. No evidence was left behind. No bodies. Nothing. They were just gone. The local police had given up and eventually just warned people to steer clear that the woods were not safe. 
They posted warning signs all around in an attempt to keep people out. What they should have done was put up an electric fence. How do that many people go missing without leaving anything behind, with no trace, no footprints or evidence of any kind? It was impossible, but it had hit too close to home just recently. Her younger sister, Callie, had left on a hiking trip with her boyfriend, Jack, five days ago. Neither ever came home. Their tent and vehicle were abandoned, and all of their belongings were left in the woods where they had camped. Even their phones were found, and the batteries drained. Some townsfolk said Jack and Callie had run off together, eloped, Their attempt at escaping a small town no one wanted to live in past high school. No chance, she thought to herself. Callie wasn't like that. She told Callie not to hike in these woods. Every Jacksonville resident knew the stories, the cult gatherings, the ghost stories, and of course, the disappearances. This cabin is more than what people think it is. I just know it. There's something here, something the police have missed. If I can figure it out. The cabin itself was old and seemed ready to collapse at any minute. The fact it still stood was nothing short of miraculous. The inside was decrepit. A simple wooden table, two matching chairs in the far corner and an old stove beside it against the wall. The wooden floor was covered in dust. Spiders were making homes in corners and crevices. She knew the back bedroom had a simple bed, bare of any bedding, and an empty dresser. And the lone rocking chair next to the window, the one she currently occupied, was the last piece in the cabin. And no, She didn't bring the candle with her. It was already in the window, lit, as if beckoning her to sit next to it. That was the first piece to this eerie puzzle. Someone had been expecting a visitor, expecting her. The thought made her shudder. Another scuffling sound from outside, closer this time. Her heart raced grip on the gun barrel tightening. She knew how to use the old shotgun her dad had gifted her several years ago. It was loaded, ready to go. What she needed to shoot this time, she wasn't sure. But she knew she wasn't coming out here by herself, unarmed. This cabin was much more than an abandoned building. Newspaper articles will tell you that in 1979, a small cult used the forest for their meetings and rituals. Some said they followed the spirits of the forest, that the spirits called to them. Some said they sacrificed animals to honor the spirits they worshipped. Word of mouth would tell you that it wasn't animals they were sacrificing at all. Once the first two people disappeared, townsfolk started looking at the cult more closely. When the third and fourth people disappeared, the 200 or so townfolk who lived in Jacksonville grew scared, and then they were angry. 
a mob took to the woods to track down the cult. Only the leader, Jim Wilkerson, was caught, and his fate was worse than any legal system could have brought down on him. The rest of the cult had run away, never to be seen or heard from again. Quieter rumors claimed that Jim's ghost never left the woods, but no one liked to talk about that. And what of the cabin? The very cabin she sat in now. It belonged to the Wilkerson family. The building had been searched many times, but according to authorities, nothing unusual was found. It was just a simple, rundown cabin built in the late 1800s. Nothing strange, no evidence of anyone having lived there for many years. You know, except the ghost sightings. And people, you know, are still vanishing. She knew all the rumors, all the gossip and historical evidence that no one would listen to. She'd been studying these woods for years, learning all the ins and outs. Callie thought she was wasting her time, her high IQ wasted on a bunch of bull. All her free time in the library was spent digging through and piecing together the data. Dates, missing people, timelines, and so on. She even dug through the Wilkerson family timeline. Violence was a common theme in the family, as was mental illness. The door. The front door. She blinked out of her deep thoughts to watch the old door squeak open just slightly. She raised the shotgun and pointed it toward the door. The squeaking stopped. But from outside, a wind suddenly picked up, whistling through the crack under the door and blowing a salt line she had so carefully laid down. Salt. Salt kept away so many things so many unwanted things. She had learned that little tidbit as well. But whatever this was, it was trying to undo her simple barrier. She placed a line of salt in the windowsill, along the front and bedroom doors, any place she could think of that something could get in. Whatever it was she was up against was smart. Panic began to set in as her first line of defense was literally blown away by the wind. A hand. She felt it. A hand on her left shoulder. She sat perfectly still in the rocker. Couldn't react. Couldn't move. A second hand on her right shoulder. Her breath quickened as her panic grew. That breath was soon knocked out of her as the hand suddenly grew solid and shoved her from behind, knocking her completely to the cabin floor. She caught herself with an elbow, pain shooting through her arm. The shotgun slid out of her hands and across the floor, settling over near the old stove. As soon as she realized what had happened, she turned around to look behind her. Nothing. No one there. Something had shoved her, but the room was empty. The rocking chair slowed. 
Something is in here, she thought to herself. Panic set in. She scrambled to her feet, hobbling over to her fallen weapon and snatching it up. Her ankle felt tender as well. She must have landed on it wrong. Before she realized it, strong hands shoved her from behind again, this time forcing her shoulder and side to collide with the old wooden stove. She bounced off, once again on the floor. Groaning and holding her shoulder, she reached over to grab the shotgun once again, cradling it against her chest as she breathed through the pain bursting through her arm. She tested her shoulder. She could rotate it, so that was a good sign. She must also hit the side of her head. Fresh blood ran down her cheek. The front door swung open with a loud bang, hitting the wall and rattling the candle in the window. Her head spun in the direction, eyes searching. She nearly fell over when she realized her salt line was completely gone. What on earth was I thinking? I'm just a research assistant, but here I am acting like a Ghostbuster or a Winchester. For the fifteenth time since she arrived and hiked her way through the creepy woods, her thoughts turned from determination to find Callie to simple fear. She was stupid to come here alone. She would end up as just another statistic, another news story for the local media to run for a few weeks and then forget about. Her boyfriend, Max, had begged her not to do this, encouraged her to let the police handle it. The police weren't handling anything. She had insisted she knew what she was doing. I have no idea what I'm doing, she muttered. The front door slammed shut again on its own, and this time, it stayed closed. She swallowed hard, but the lump in her throat wouldn't dissipate. The sudden silence in the cabin was thick, the air sticky and suddenly strong with sulfur. Slowly, she turned from the front door, searching around the cabin for the thing that had attacked her. Nothing. The wind picked up outside, howling through the cracks in the lone window. The candle's flame flickered, but remained. She was thankful she had brought a lantern with her. She thought of Max and wondered if he had tried calling her again. The cell phone in her jacket pocket hadn't vibrated at all. Then again, any sort of signal she might have had died long ago, about half a mile into the woods. She got to her feet and stumbled toward the closed front door, using the shotgun to steady her. She yanked on the door handle. She was done, getting the hell out of Dodge. It wouldn't open. She pulled harder, over and over she pulled. It wouldn't budge. There were no locks in sight, but it was stuck as if an imaginary force kept it from opening. Slowly, she turned around to face the center of the cabin, closed her eyes, and inhaled. Who's there? She asked, voice quivering into the open air. A ghost, she supposed. Maybe she could reason with. 
whatever it was. Whoever you are, I just want my sister back. That's the only reason I'm here. Her name is Kelly. I just want her back. Please, then I'll leave. The wind blew stronger, the howling the only answer given in return. Maybe the ghost didn't want her to leave. Maybe it wanted her here, and that's why the candle had been lit. Something thumped under the floor. She jumped, heart racing again. What in the... There was nothing there, just the wooden floorboards. But then she tilted her head and looked closer. One board, out of place. Just slightly more crooked than the others. Surely not. Surely the police had checked. But maybe they didn't. Another thump, louder. She dropped to her knees and laid the gun down beside her. She moved to the crooked board, placing her fingertips underneath and lifted. It moved easily. Too easily. No way. The edge of what looked like a metal hinged door. She stood up and backed away from it. She looked around the cabin as if looking to see if anyone else was seeing this. Excitement, anxiety, and fear rumbled through her chest in a rush of emotion. But she had to know. What is in there? She bent down and with shaky hands lifted up another board and another. Soon, she was looking at a three-foot-by-three-foot metal trap door. A strange symbol decorated the top and covered most of the door. She had no idea what this symbol was in her research and study. Another thump against the metal door. The sudden sound knocked her back onto her rear, eyes staring at the hidden door she'd just uncovered. Someone is down there. She didn't know what to do. What if Callie was trapped down there? What if other people were trapped? What if something else entirely was down there? Maybe the ghost that had pushed her was trying to show her something. That was too many maybes. She had to know. Unsteady hands reached down and felt for the shotgun. She never took her eyes away from that door. She grabbed the metal ring, jerked the door open, and stepped back quickly. Shotgun pointed at the hole. Dust rose from the sudden movement in the floor and entered her nostrils. So did a stench. A stench unlike anything she'd ever smelled before. Rotten. Dying. A short ladder leaned against the interior wall of the hole, leading down into the dark. Her face set to stone, mouth tight. She took a step towards that hole against her better judgment, peering down into the dark. Every fiber of her being screamed, This is stupid. Don't even think about it. But she had to. Was her baby sister being kept down there? 
Her shotgun was locked and loaded, the sound echoing in the eerily silent cabin. She cried out as a dirty, scraped hand grabbed at the edge of the cabin floor. The sudden movement caused her to fall back again, but she never lost grip of her gun. She shakily pointed it at the hole, the hand that had appeared out of nowhere. Another hand slapped the edge of the flooring. Now a pair of scratched, dirty hands were reaching out from the hole and gripping the floor. She watched as dark hair rose between those two hands, and a pair of eyes looked familiar. Familiar, but different. These eyes seemed to match her own. Same shape, same size. But the color was off. But the face that went with those eyes was unmistakably familiar. The candle in the window flickered, casting more shadows across a face she'd known all her life. Callie? She sputtered. But Callie, who had now pulled herself completely from the hole in the floor, stood before her. She tilted her head in confusion as she stared down. She was missing a shoe. The familiar hiking clothes Callie had worn when she left was torn and covered in dirt. Those eyes. Those eyes were all wrong. Almost a sickly yellow color had taken over what should have been blue with gold flecks, much like hers. Is she sick? What is wrong with her eyes? Callie leaned back and let out an ear-splitting, animalistic scream towards the ceiling. Hands splayed out behind her. The scream stopped, and those sickly yellow eyes focused on her. That's not Callie. That's not Callie. That's not Callie. She scrambled to her feet, clutching her weapon as the thing inhabiting Callie's body shambled towards her. That's when a new notion hit her like a ton of bricks. She's possessed. No, no, no. She raised the shotgun and aimed at Callie. She'd been hunting with their dad plenty of times and understood what she had to do. She let out a slow breath and aimed for Callie's left shoulder. She pulled the trigger. Callie's shoulder exploded in a shower of blood and what can only be described as black stuff. A dark mist escaped from Callie as her body hit the floor, all life escaping her eyes. Callie looked as if she'd been dead for days. She turned, gagging from the stench and the thought of her sister being dead right there in front of her. The dark mist floated around the ceiling, hovering as if waiting. Her eyes watched it, and as quickly as the bile had risen in her throat, the anger took over. Wilkerson. Jim Wilkerson. She sneered, realization settling in. Watching the hovering presence, she had an idea. No one would ever get hurt in this cabin again. Reaching into her jacket pocket, 
she pulled out a box of matches. Max had insisted she bring them, just in case, he had said. Suddenly, becoming aware of what might happen, the mist attempted to enter Callie's body again, but the salt in her bullet remained in her sister and seemed to be enough to keep Wilkerson from taking over. She pulled a single match out of the box, lit it, and threw it into the hole. Just as quickly, she suddenly felt something around her throat, hands squeezing. She gagged and struggled, somehow falling back into the rocking chair, shotgun long forgotten and lying on the floor. The candle in the window flickered with a sudden motion. She began seeing colorful spots and noticed the heat and flames coming from below. Her match had caught something, and the fire quickly spread below. If she didn't get out of here soon, the floor would be next. As if like magic, the hands left her neck. She gasped, breathing in the air that was filling quickly with smoke, hobbling over and sweeping up her shotgun. I'll be damned if I'm leaving that behind. She threw the candle as hard as possible at the old table and chairs. With one last glance at her sister, she turned and pulled the door open to the cabin. It opened easily. She didn't look back as the flames engulfed the cabin, smoke piling high into the night sky. I hope you enjoyed The Old Cabin in the Woods, as written by Heather Miller and performed by Olivia Steele. You'll find more of Olivia Steele right here on our podcast network and YouTube episodes, as well as her own YouTube channel called Scarily Olivia. Now... Our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.